the instant I knew the long rumbling running on and on underfoot and all through the shard particles of shuttered air. I went quiet inside then and stood there in the little kitchen amongst the shaken still. The dumb newsprint walls loud astounding, the carded crockery large and in pieces about the floor, and the coking call collapsed and startled bedlam about the hearth. Struck familiar things. Dressing particular, slow, immature, early close eye. <laughs> significant hill to the graven pit Enough, for I saw the flame going up the chimney. Purse! She, she's, she's fired! fired. <sighs> There's not a man who'll get out. Inside the mine. Robert! Have you your lamp? That's your lamp, lad. Robert! Quickly now, boy! I'm trying, Jimmy. It won't light. What's happened, Jimmy? Settle your hands, Robert, and it'll light. There we go. I'm thinking it's an explosion. Oh, God. An explosion, Jimmy. It's all right. We stay together. We'll make our way through to number one right. (coughs) There's smoke. What will we do? We'll retrace our steps. Slowly as she goes, Robert. We stay together. Jimmy, I can hear voices. Do you hear the voices? I do, Robbie. I do. We need to get out. Oh, it's good to see you boys. Where have you come from? We've come from the face. All right. We'll go through the old workings towards number five and try to get out that way. We stay together. <coughs> we can't get through this way. More bloody smoke. What do we do? How will we get out? How are we going to get out, Jimmy? I want to get out. I want to get out! Robert! No! Come back, boy! We're trapped! Oh, God, we're trapped! We'll get out, boy! I don't want to die! Are we going to die? Settle. Just settle. It's absolutely necessary to keep calm. I think our only hope is to stay here and wait for the smoke to clear. Look, there's an old door lying over there in the tunnel. We can use that to help protect us from the smoke. We need to put out the lamps, boys. To help save oxygen till this blasted smoke clears. Well, help comes. Lamps out, boys. In another part of the mine, another couple of miners are working. Thomas Muir and his nephew, James. Thomas suddenly lifts his head, stops and puts his pick down. He puts his hands to his ears, then to his head. He shakes his head a little. He looks around, but then resumes his work. The smoke's not clearing. We can't stay here any longer. We've got to do something. What do you suggest, Jimmy? Look, I'll try and get towards the main tunnel and see if we can't get through that way. You all wait here. If it's clear, I'll wave my light and then you follow me. Right, right. I'll see you soon, boys. 
Cal sets off walking, increasingly stooped, making his way through debris. He goes a short way, sees that the way seems passable. He stops, turns back and waves his light. He waits. Nothing happens. It's clear. Come on up. It's clear. Come on up. Outside the mine, near the adit, Adam Frost Sr. is lying down. He slowly sits up onto his elbows. Charles Biggers is sitting with his head in his hand. Charlie, are you okay? I'm fine, Adam. You? Yes. Good Lord, Charlie. The mine's gone up. What'll we do? Grab the flare lamps, Charlie. We'll go into the pit through the travelling road. Charlie grabs the flare lamps and gives one to Adam Senior. They start to make their way into the travelling road tunnel. Charlie, stop! There could be gas. I think we best use the safety lamps. Or we could fire her again. They back their way out of the tunnel, put down the flare lamps and grab the safety lamps. Adam Senior looks to Charlie Biggers. They grab each other's arm and look at each other for a short time. Let's go, Charlie. They begin their descent into the mine through the travelling tunnel. Inside the mine, Pal moves slowly along the main tunnel road on his hands and knees. He comes across Robert Blackett lying on the road. Robert! No! He checks to see if Blackett is still alive. He is not. He pauses and shakes his head, then continues on. His legs seem heavy and dragging. He stops. His speech is beginning to slightly slur. God, no. After damp, my legs. So heavy. Boots off. They say that will. He proceeds to take off his boots and leaves them behind. Begins crawling along on his hands and knees. Where's the opening? Where's the light? Where's the light? The light! I can't see it! A couple of miners, Edward Morant and George Walker Sr., are still working in another part of the mine, totally unaware of the explosion. Outside the mine, John Morrison and Will McMurray enter holding safety lamps. They are trying to find a way into the main tunnel. It's blocked, William. There's got to be a way in. They look around the rock fort, moving debris. John, we can get in through this opening. We'll never see inside with that safety lamp. Look, the, the light is too dim. We need flare lamps. Inside the mine, Thomas Muir and his nephew, James, working at their board. Thomas and James stop working and look up. They sniff the air around them. Uncle Thomas, there's smoke. And a strange odour. Come on, James. It's time we were getting out of this. It's something we've never seen before. They pick up their stuff and head out. They come across William Muir, Thomas's other nephew... He is sitting unconscious, stricken by the after-damp. William! William! They try to rouse him, but are unable to do so. Thomas picks him up and puts him across his shoulders. Yeah, let's go, James. We have to get out of here as fast as we can. There's after-damp. Hal is inching his way along the tunnel. John Morrison and Will McMurray enter the mine with their flare lamps. They make their way along the tunnel where they meet up with Pal... He is relieved to see them. Thank God. Have you seen anybody in the tunnel? There are any amount of dead ones. Are you going straight ahead? I think I've done enough. He continues on his way, (coughs) staggering out of the main tunnel. He falls to his knees. (coughs) Morrison and McMurray continue through the tunnel. Who's there? Frost and Biggers. Is that you, Morrison? Yes, Adam, it is. And Will McMurray. Good Lord. What are you coming in here with the flare lamps? There could be gas that'll fire. That's the last thing we want. Here, John, take my safety lamp and go on with Biggers. I'll head back to the tunnel mouth to make sure no one decides to come rushing in here with any more flare lamps. McMurray will take these flare lamps out of here and you can get a safety lamp. Agreed, Agreed, Adam. John Morrison and Charles Biggers continue down the tunnel and run into Thomas and James Muir. Thomas is still carrying his nephew, Will. There's gas. 
It's got wheel. I got to get the boys out. Follow the main tunnel road. You can get out the way we got in. They stumble past bodies. Suddenly Thomas starts weaving from side to side. He and James go down on their knees. Thomas is struggling to hold Will. It's the afterdump, goodness. Teams get up. We have to keep going. James, we have to stay high above it. They both struggle to stand and stagger, trying to carry Will out of the tunnel. Inside the mine, Edward Morant and George Walker Sr. walking back, chatting in a relaxed manner, totally unaware of what has happened. Almost at the main tunnel. Looking forward to getting home tonight, Edward. A nice warm bath, I think, tonight, my boy, to warm me old bones. You're as strong as an ox, George. <laughs> What's that smell? It smells like burning tar. It's fine, Edward. It's probably just a new canvas or bratis to help with the ventilation. George, I think the pit might be on fire. No, it's fine. The wheelers have gone, and they've left everything behind. Something is very wrong, George. Let's just keep moving, Edward. They continue to walk along the tunnel. They find the body of Hugh Lister. It's Hugh. He's dead. We need to get out, George, as quickly as we can. Leave the tools. We'll head up towards the ventilation furnace. The air should be good there. They change direction, heading towards the ventilation furnace. They come across Joe Meredith, sitting on the ground. He appears drunk. Come on, Joe! Come and have a smoke, me boys. It's the after-damp. They see two members of a rescue party. Are you all right? We're both in good stead. What's happened? There's been an explosion. She's fired. We heard and felt not a thing. George, you need to go straight out. You're an old man. I need to find my brothers. We have many men with the after-damp. We need help moving them up the tunnel where the air is better. As they lift Joe Meredith... Have you seen my brothers? Edward Smith, working, looks up suddenly as he hears... Run! For God's sake, she's fired! They are the words from his dream. He taps his head to make sure he's awake. He drops his pick and runs. David Evans is working, looks up as Matthew Frost runs towards him. Davey, I think something's wrong. I felt this wind and the rope has stopped. I think there's been a fall. Davy, my light has blown out. Something may be wrong in number one. Follow me, Matthew. They run up a tunnel towards number one right. They meet up with Thomas Dunning, Harry Simpson, a young miner, and others. Davy, the mine's on fire. I want to get out. I want to get out. I want to get I out. I need to find my boy. Tom, you need to settle down. No one is going anywhere. Everyone needs to stay calm. There could be gas. Frost and I will head further up towards number one to see what we can find. Everyone is to stay here together until we get back and then we'll decide the best course of action. I want to get out. I want to get out. Thomas Dunning begins to move away from the others. Tom, are you coming with us? No, Harry. I'm going to look for my son. I'm coming with you, Tom. (coughs) (coughs) They've gone? Tom's gone to look for his son. Some of the others have gone their own way. The three miners stand there. They stagger a little. Gas! They listen. Look to the panic going on around them. That's gas! My legs are heavy. I can hardly walk. Please, God, help us. Is it the afterdamp? We have to get out of here. Look, the light is turning yellow. Evans suddenly moves and runs towards the ventilation shaft. The ventilation shaft! He throws open the main ventilation doors. We have to get out. Lead us out, Davy. Go, Dick! Go! Just just stay put! Stay together, for God's sake! I'll see who else I can find before we make our way out. Right, how do we get out? We could try going out by the long wall workings, just behind the main tunnel, and make our way past the 90-acre gulf. No one has worked it for a couple of months, but the air is still good there. They've kept the ventilation going as far as I know. That's a good idea, but I'm not sure of the way. Anyone know the way well? I think I may know it. I think I do too. If we stop here, we will never get out. Look at the smoke. It's yellow. My legs are feeling heavy. There's after damp. We have to do something, Davy, and soon. I agree. Around the long war workings, that is the way we'll go, Matthew. You stay here for a while longer, fetch up any stragglers, and follow on behind us. Right, Davy. 
It's Matthew Frost. We've a way out. Come to my lamp. Can you see it? Quickly now. The air's getting heavy. A young miner, Clifford Hammond, is lying down. He slowly picks himself up and looks confused. Laidlow? McKinley, are you there? So something's happened. I've been blown along the tunnel. My horse is dead. No! Laidlow and McKinley call out to another miner, Thomas Johnson, working in a board near them. Get away out, Clifford, lad. Thomas! Thomas! Come out at once! My horse! What is it, Laidlow? My ears started to ring and there was this mighty clap. Has there been an explosion? I don't know, Tom, but I smell something strange. Oh, it smells like new canvas. Time to leave. We could make our way along the Haulage Road towards the daylight heading. Try and get out that way. I think I know the way. Let's go, quickly now. Clifford, off you go. Follow Tom. We're right behind you. Young Clifford's ears and neck are badly scorched. His horse dead. I'm thinking some sort of explosion or bad blower. We need to move quickly. I agree. Fast as we can. Meanwhile... I'm not sure this is the way to go, Davy. I think it could be madness. Uh, maybe we should go along the main tunnel road. Maybe the air is clear now. Man, for God's sake, this is our only chance. We have got to move before the fumes get us. I'm going. Who's coming? He starts to move. The men follow, breaking into a run. They come across a fallen miner, face down in the dust. They run right past him. Henry Sells stops, as do three other miners. Jesus Christ, mate. Are you going to go boy and leave a mate like this? Every man for himself. That's what Davy told us. It's Matthew. The afterdamp has him. Let's move. Boys, we'll grab that trolley we saw in the main haulage road and try and find our way out. In another part of the mine... Adam Jr., are you all right? We think there's been an explosion. We're heading towards the daylight, heading to try and get out. Thomas thinks it's the best way. There has. That's the way to go. It's clear. Do you know the way? Yes. Are you coming with us, Adam? No. I've just led some out that way. I'm going to find more to show them the way out. Eric Hunt is doing the same. Be careful, Adam. Your father will want you home safe. Evans and his men, they are on their bellies, dragging themselves through narrow ventilation tunnels. It's too narrow. I can't get through. I can't get through. Come on, matey. You can do it. We have to keep going. You can't stop now. You'll block the way for all of us. Keep calm and just slowly edge your way through. Just keep following Davy. He's through. Keep calm. Just keep calm and dinner panic. We're going to get out. We are going to get out. Commission, Wollongong. Sir, an urgent message for Mr Wade. All the doctors are wanted at once at Kembla. A terrible accident has happened. I am told there has been some accident at Mount Kembla. I think they would like any managers who can be spared to go there. Undoubtedly. I hope it is not serious. I think if a serious accident has occurred, it might be necessary for some of the miners' officials to attend. I suggest an adjournment of the court. It seems to me that all the gentlemen concerned desire to see what has happened. If they've sent for three or four doctors, it may be a very serious matter. I should like the privilege of being present. I have just been told this moment there has been an explosion of some kind. If you desire some of your representatives to go, it is very natural. I feel very upset at the announcement. I do, really. It may be very desirable, Mr Wade, that some representatives of the mine should attend... I think we'd better adjourn. I'm very sorry. Adjourned until 9.30am Friday the 1st of August. The men, including John May, leave the courtroom and stop dead. They stare up towards Mount Kembla.
Thick smoke billows up towards the sky. Andrew Lysart looks up. You can pack it up now. The bugger's gone up. My son. The telegraph office. Please send a telegram to my wife, Mrs McCabe. There has been an explosion at Mount Kembla. Stop. I'm going to offer assistance. Stop. I will be home as soon as possible. Stop. Signed, yours, Henry. Mount Kembla. The women rush forward as a body is carried out on a stretcher by rescuers from the pithead. Is it Ned? Major McCabe is organising rescue parties. Right, men. We need to organise ourselves in a much more ordered fashion if we are to have the best chance of finding and rescuing as many survivors as is possible. We'll break into four search and rescue parties, each party to be made up of nine miners, each party covering a set area, optimising our coverage of the mine. We use only safety lamps. Mr McMurray? Yes, Major McCabe. I believe there to be gas present in the mine. From the look of the damage from the explosion out here, I think it is safe to assume Mr McMurray's assessment of there being gas present in the mine is correct. Beware of after-damp, lads. Major McCabe, there are rescue groups inside. We have set aside the fitter shed as the mortuary. As you can see, it is one of the few buildings left standing. Four constables are on duty there. Thank you, Mr Rogers. It looks like we have many fine men coming from all over the district to offer their aid. The men will need safety lamps, sir. Unfortunately, we seem to be a little short of those. I believe we have a dozen. We will just have to make do with what we have. Men, I need you to... And stretches too, sir. It appears we are ill-equipped to deal with the situation. Then we adapt. We will need to construct more. Mr Wade, would you please assist in this matter? Will McMurray will lead us in. Ned, 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 where are you, Ned? I left the arbitration hearing immediately and went to the Mount Kembla colliery along with many others. I got there about a quarter to four in the afternoon. I went into the mine directly I got there. Within five minutes, I got hold of a safety lamp... I heard the men complaining about the difficulty in obtaining safety lamps. But I got one. I think it belonged to somebody else, though. I think I almost stole it. But it burnt very badly. I can tell you that much. I went into the shaft section by the travelling road. Mr Ritchie and several miners were with me. We went to the intersection of the number six right rope road where there was a kerosene light burning. When passing number one right, we found the air rather bad. We had some bodies with us in skips then and brought them out in the skips till we came to a fall. Then we went into the travelling road, carrying the bodies right out of the mine. Whilst laying the bodies gently into the ground, I... I looked up. I encountered Major McCabe. I addressed him. Major McCabe, John May here, sir. I would suggest that you not allow any men to go down number six right rope road, as the after damp is too strong down there. He nodded and continued to make his way towards the mine. Dr. Robertson arrived at the colliery at about six in the evening. You see, Dr. Robertson had not been present at the arbitration hearing today uh, due to being unwell. I believe on hearing of the explosion, he caught the first train he was able down. On arrival, he, of course, took control of the situation from Major McCabe and formed three more search parties and stamped his considerable presence upon the rescue operation. Well, men... We will form another three search parties. Our task is to, as speedily as is possible, repair the brightest stubbings which have been badly damaged by the explosion and, as we know, help control the ventilation in the mine. This will allow fresh air to advance with the rescue parties. My party will take number one right, Major McCabe and Mr McMurray, number six right. Mr James, you will back up Major McCabe's party. On my arrival, I'd been in such an urgent state to enter the mine in order to offer my help 
that I had not time to take in the suffering that surrounded me. I was focused only on the rescue, but now, as I stood and surveyed the scene around me, a scene of such grief and misery, a cold winter's night descending upon the pit top, fires being lit in braziers, lights in a sea of darkness, to help warm the loved ones who waited and waited. time whatever life at the end would bring and for all intents the greeting and goodbye the women from Bulle have started to arrive Catherine they've walked all the way can you believe that it's taken them hours and hours they've come for us they know. Another body is carried out on a stretcher. Catherine, Mary and Joni turn anxiously towards <laughs> the stretcher. Is it Ned? Major McCabe is kneeling on the ground. Will McMurray is holding him up. McCabe yells to the rest of the men in his party. Stay back. For God's sake. The air is bad here. Stay back. I'll help the Major out of here. Come on, Major. I need you to get up. Here, I'll steady you. McCabe collapses on the ground. McMurray begins to drag him along the ground. Ever more slowly. Starts to weave and falter. We're almost there. Go for a pint after this, I think, Major. He collapses on top of McCabe. Joni runs up to the stretcher and pulls the cover back to see if it is her husband, Thomas. She falls over Thomas's body, gripping it. No. Please, God, no. No. He's not dead. Look, his cheeks are rosy red. His face is flushed. He's alive, I tell you. Lassie, it's the afterdamp. He's gone. She looks at him, confused. Catherine and Mary slowly pry her away from the body of her husband. Dr. Robertson. We need help. Major McCabe and Will McMurray are down in the mine. We can't get to them. Too much gas. It looks like one of them has been trying to get the other out, but has succumbed to the gas as well. It doesn't look good. I think we've lost them both. Good Lord! We'll gather as many men as we can spare to get them out of there. One of the miners enters and walks slowly over to Mary. Mary... We think we found Frank. I'm so sorry. We need you to come to the fitter's shed and and formally identify him for us. Mary stares at him for a moment. Catherine steadies her as she stumbles a little. The miner takes her arm and leads her off. Catherine looks off after Mary. The woman with the baby is rocking back and forth, weeping, looking into the face of her baby as another body enters. They turn suddenly. Is it Ned? They lead me into the fittest shed, the temporary morgue, and to a body lying covered on a stretcher. Two miners stand to the side of the body, their heads bowed. A mark of respect. Kind, I think. Frank would be pleased. One of the miners hands me Frank's pocket watch. My heart seems to stop for a moment. I can't seem to breathe. I touch the watch, smooth my hand over every crevice of it, my love, and slowly open it. Three minutes past two. It stopped at three minutes past two. Time seems to have stopped for me, too. I kneel, slowly, beside the body. I ever so carefully place Frank's watch on the ground beside the stretcher. I slowly lift the cover back from home, my Frank. Gently put my hand under his head. <laughs> <laughs> 
to lift it towards me. Mary, no! Oh, Frank's head lifts into my hands. A stillness came over me as I looked into his face. I hear a voice. It was my voice <laughs> crying, yes. It is my Frank. Oh, my poor Frank, my poor Frank. I close my eyes, can't catch my breath. I feel Frank with me then. Breathe, Mary, just breathe. I open my eyes. I place my Frank's head with the rest of his poor, battered and bruised body. I make him whole again on that stretcher and draw the blanket up to cover his neck. I sit a while. Time has stopped. My life has stopped. I lean down and gently stroke his face, my love. <laughs> I leave him with a kiss as I slowly draw the blanket over his face. I notice his watch. I pick it up and place it ever so gently on his chest, my Frank's chest. Best not forget your watch, my love. I stand to try to breathe and begin to walk away, but the world collapses and spins about me, then darkness, a bottomless pit of black. The women are going into labour. It's the shock. We can't lose them. They're babies. Some are too early. Poor Mrs Dunning has lost 14 of her family. Two men are digging with shovels. The bodies keep coming. The poor sods are dying by the drawls from the afterdamp. Bastard of a thing. It's a cruel trickster. Coffin train travels on its lonely way up the hill. Mr Rogers, more telegrams are arriving. Yes, thank you, son. I will attend to them. Manager Rogers, was W.M. Fairley working at Kembla? Stop. Is he safe? Stop. Reply paid, Mrs. Tucker, Lithgow. Can you supply particulars? Ah, Hume, I'm unkilled. Stop. I fear it. He is my son. Stop. Don't know his whereabouts. Reply paid, Mrs. R. Hume. Understand Ronald Hume killed. Came from Queensland. Sandy complexion. Manager Rogers, my hearse will be available for hire from 11am tomorrow morning. Stop. Manager Rogers, Department of Mines requests arrangements are made for our personnel to be met at Wollongong train station. Stop. Please confirm details. Manager Rogers, need confirmation of details in regards to the latest shipping movements in order to ship coal. Stop. Secretary, Mount Kembla Coal and Oil Company, Sydney. Manager Rogers, has my son Michael, Mickey Brennan, been found? Stop. Is he well? Stop. Manager Rogers. Will. Will. I found him. At last. Who have you found? Your stepson, Tom Rogers. Here's his cap. I know it well by the patch over the peak. The cap's been torn by a blow or something. When I found it, I searched round carefully and found poor Tom. We also found Stafford. He was not far from Tom. We'll get a stretcher and get him out. I will. They wonder why my hair is grey. My face so thin and pale and why I never smile. Have they forgot that awful time I stayed the long day through and all the night at that cruel mine? Watching and waiting for him that never came until kind hands with saving hearts brought his poor bruised form along the winding range and laid him down in that dusty shed. 
all alone I stood and gazed upon his dear, cold face. I told them he was mine. Their tender hands then brought him once more to his once happy home. It made his orphans weep and cry to see their father tears so cold and still. Then again they carried him away with sad, sad hearts. Now he sleeps beside the church where oftentimes he stood. He will never hear the church bells ring or hear the organ play the hymns he used to sing with us. He will sing on earth no more. But with good faith we trust in Christ our voices will join in paradise where tears and sorrow shall be no more when we meet before God's throne. So many graves dug. Countless funeral processions making their sad way through our tiny village. Some to be buried here, some in the Wollongong surrounds and further beyond. Who knows where? So many bodies, nowhere to bury them. The minister had to consecrate the ground at Windy Gully. A cricket pitch is now a burial ground. Some poor souls have been buried in our graves. How will their families find them? They'll be lost forever. Lost souls? The coffin train puffing its way up the mountain over and over is such a lonely sight. So many gone. So much heartbreak and grief. It's almost unbearable. It is unbearable. The grief. Mine is an unspoken grief. My Matthew came back to me, but he's but a shadow of his former self. He's here, but he's not. Every day I seem to lose a little more of him to the afterdamp, to his grief and his guilt of survival. It's like he's become a ghost of himself. I'm heartbroken. I miss him, but he is here. How do I explain this limbo? How can I speak of my grief when others have lost, buried their loved ones? Mine is here. So I... I live alone in my grief. My heartbreak. Waiting, the incessant waiting. What is the time? The door should be open soon. Are you here to observe the inquest proceedings or give testimony? Ah. Interested observers, I'm here to give testimony, you see. I was there on that dreadful day. An accidental participant, you might say. It is officially the worst industrial disaster and loss of life in Australia's history. Ninety-six miners dead. One still Unrecovered, Mickey Brennan. Such a tragedy. A mixture of hope and waiting drifted, drifts over the mountain still. Some to escape the mine, only to die days, weeks, even months later. 
from the afterdump. Mickey Brennan's father searching the mine for him whenever he's able. Mickey's coffin, lonely, waiting. Cruel. Oh, yes, so very cruel. The day of the disaster brought out the best in many. Great deeds of compassion and bravery occurred that day, but, as with life, it also brought out the worst in some. Did you know that on that fateful day, every house in Mount Kembla was looted? Yes, looted. Tragic. But the tragedy continued, continues. Food was short, much of the food being fed to the many government officials who visited the town after the disaster, whilst wives and children went hungry. The mine reopened three weeks later. The company paid its shareholders a dividend that year, but... To date, not one shilling of compensation has yet been paid to the victims of the disaster. Shameful. The women of the dead are made to walk from Mount Kembla to Wollongong every week. Children in tow for their meagre payment. As for me, I, I was asked to inspect the mine on the 9th of August as part of Mr Ritchie's team representing the miners. And here I am again, waiting, waiting to testify at the coroner's inquest into the disaster today. I have much to say, none of which I dare say they will want to hear. Have they ever? Hopefully, I'll be able to give testimony at the Royal Commission next year. Will either inquiry help the cause of the miners? Will it help to answer my question? Who is responsible for mine safety? I fear not. I despair that Dr. Robertson still maintains the company position that there was no explosion. It was simply a wind blast. A wind blast? The man was there. They were all there. I was there. I often wonder, will this terrible day be remembered? Or will it simply disappear into the mists of history? Forgotten. Only time will tell. Whatever the count, whatever, remember me. Mickey Brennan, 22. Henry Aitken, 23. John Aitken, 47. James Annesley, 33. Richard Bellis, 62. Thomas Best, 40. Albert Blackett, 21. Robert Blackett, 23. William Brasher, 56. William Bray, 40. John Bryson, 53. Arthur Carter, 28. Charles Church, 68. George Dixon, 22. William Doherty, 29. Francis Dungey, 46. Frederick Dunning, 19. Joseph Dunning, 24. Thomas Dunning, 46. Edward Egan, 19. Dennis Egan, 20. Michael Egan, 28. Thomas Egan, 32. William Philby, 48. Daniel Gallagher, 40. Edward Gallagher, 38. Michael Gallagher, 45. Edward Gill, 23. Stephen Gleeson, 33. George Hartley, 22. James Head, 28. 
Daniel Healy, 31. Alfred Hewlett, 27. William Hewlett, 21. Jehu Hitchens, 62. Thomas Howell, 27. Thomas Hughes, 32. Reynolds Hume, 26. William Hunt, 45. Percy A. Hunt, 42. Percy S. Hunt, 18. Henry James, 33. John James, 33. John Jeffrey, 42. Robert Jones, 21. Thomas Kindred, 69. Richard Lane, 44. Richard C. Lane, 17. Henry McCabe, 45. Patrick McCann, 33. James McDill, 47. Hugh McLister, 24. James McLister, 22. William McMurray, 48. Henry Morant, 20. William Morant, 22. George Morris, 34. Thomas Morris, 25. Walter Morris, 49. Alexander Morrison, 15. Henry Morrison, 17. John Muir, 18. Peter Muir, 41. John Murphy, 50. John Knees, 34. Alexander Nelson, 14. William Nelson, 39. William Nixon, 21. Matthew Peace, 38. William Price, 26. James Purcell, 38. James Purcell Sr., 60. John Purcell, 33. Thomas Purcell, 39. Patrick Purcell, 45. Henry Rich, 66. James Rich, 39. Edward Robson, 65. George Russell, 20. John Ryan, 33. David Scott, 40. William Silcock, 14. Albert Skilling, 15. Frederick Smith, 15. Claude Stafford, 17. Kembla Stafford, 17. William Stafford, 25. Frank Stewart, 38. Richard Thomas, 26. Edward Tost, 30. John Walker, 16. Richard Walker, 42. William Walker, 18. Joseph Wilkinson, 26. Charles Woodruff, 35. George Youngman, 38. Thank you so much for listening to 96 Candles. First of all, I would like to introduce you to the cast. Eric Alexander, Tim Allen, Scott Boucher, Karen Cobbin, Michael Connor, Isabel Fredericks, Stephen Goldrick, Kim Griffin, Laosh Hamers, Susan Kennedy, Ben Verdon, Brad Waitman, and Laura Whalen. Violin and musical score arrangement, Scott Boucher, and on Bodrum, Tim Allen. A special thanks to my wonderful cast and to our amazing and talented sound engineer and editor, Tim Pearce, direction by Karen Cobbin. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land of which we speak, and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Jumbala, Darawal country. There are also so many other people and organisations that I would like to acknowledge and thank. Firstly, Wollongong City Council. This Radio Play podcast has been made possible through a Wollongong City Council small cultural grant. I would especially like to thank Wollongong City Council for their ongoing support throughout the development of this play. I would also like to thank Merigong Theatre Company for their initial support through their theatre development program, in particular Anne-Louise Rantel and Leland Keane, as well as Arts on Tour for their support through their regional artists' initiative, in particular Nell Rani and Kate Gall. 
I would like to especially thank Connell Fitzpatrick for allowing me to use two of his beautiful poems in the play, Catherine's Story and Whatever the Count, from his book of poems, Kembler, The Book of Voices. I'd also like to acknowledge the Mount Kembler Mine Disaster by Stuart Piggin and Henry Lee for their contributions to my research and in particular to Jonathan May for his words in colliery explosions, their cause and their prevention. Thanks also to Arthur Boucher for permission to use his original score, Artie's Gig. And a special thanks to all the wonderful people who have helped, encouraged and supported me throughout the development of this play. The Mount Kembla Heritage Centre, in particular Elizabeth Roberts, Noel Murray for his time and generosity and for allowing me to use his great uncle Albert's composition. To Georgina Element of Kembla Jottings, the wonderful playwright Wendy Richardson, Paul Scully, MP, New South Wales member for Wollongong, ABC Illawarra, in particular, Sarah Moss, Melinda James and Justin Huntsdale, the Illawarra Mercury, Illawarra Production Services, my friends, Susan Kennedy, Karen Oleska, Ben Dillon-Smith, Jake Tuchinski and Chris Tuchinski, my friend Jo Tier and her son Dominic Tier for giving me the opportunity to explore the depths of a coal mine and to experience firsthand the bottomless pit of black and its total absence of light. My son Thomas Cobbin for his graphic design, my wonderful family and friends, and last but not least, the residents of Mount Kembla and the descendants of the miners involved in the tragedy who have refused to allow this event and its story to fade from our history and who have been so generous with their support of 96 Candles. Thank you.